All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. Hello again, and welcome to Predator Screwheads Talk Horror. I'm Screwhead Dan. And I'm Screwhead Andrew. And we are here once again to dissect, dismember, and discuss horror movies. Yes, I got it. This is our second take. I've actually been, like, recording videos for my company all morning. So there's been a lot of just, like, reading off the script, looking at stuff, making sure it aligns what's on the screen and everything like that. So I, I, I'm a little, honestly, talked out right now. But we do it We do it for you listeners. That's how it goes. Anyway, happy reboot ween. During the month of October, we are once again going to go ahead and discuss all of the reboots that came on out. If you haven't listened to our latest episode on Jeepers Creepers Reborn, uh, we released that last week. uh, So hopefully uh, you'll get a chance to view that if you haven't already. It was a good episode. uh, Very awful movie, but uh, we had fun discussing it as well. Anyway, uh, today's episode is going to be the 2022 remake of Hellraiser. Well, reboot of Hellraiser. It's not really a remake. Uh, but before we get into that, though, Andrew, it's been a few days. How you doing? Uh, you know, I'm doing good, man. It's, uh, you know, fall's kind of kicking in here. We're getting some nice uh, foliage colors coming on uh, through. So it's, you know, it's really kind of putting me in that, in, in that mood, you know? How about yourself? Ooh. Uh, doing good. Doing really, really good. It is, once again, fall down here in the south as well. Getting a little bit cold outside. Um, I'm actually wearing socks again and not just sandals <laughs> and all that good stuff. Uh, yeah, no problems. Not, not really. Awesome. Boss comes back up from her maternity leave on Wednesday, and I've already got like a 10-page document with all the crap I've been up to over the past three months uh, ready for her, which is great. Um, yeah, I really can't think of it too much. I mean, it's only been a few days, so. Yeah, that's true. I think maybe we can jump right into the episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, this one was a little bit different, though, because we, uh, we handled this uh, watching a little bit different. How did, how did we watch this one, Andrew? Yeah, so, uh, so this time uh, we watched... Uh, we kind of simul watch this at the same time, along with a couple of our friends. Uh, we have kind of a Discord uh, that we use to watch other movies and kind of uh, do like kind of live texting throughout. Um, so we did that with this movie. Uh, in the past, we've done it with like Leprechaun films and whatnot. Uh, but I think um, one of my friends, actually, who I really uh, in college I, I met, and uh, her and I would watch through all the Hellraiser movies, kind of how we became friends, just sitting down and watching all the Hellraiser movies, uh, suggested we all kind of do a, a big simul watch of it. So. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a good time. Gotcha. Is that what? Is that the one who was mad at me for having the wrong list of games? I thought like that was or not Brooke. liking Ghost Runner. Uh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, um, so his his wife Anna and I went to college together, um, and uh, we uh, both watched all the Hellraiser movies. And then I think we also had um, Eileen, who's um, one of their friends as well. I don't think I've ever met her actually in person. Um, but yeah, so I think that I think it was just the five, six of us, seven of us. Chris may have been there as well, another another friend from high school. Um, so yeah, gotcha. maybe in a, and they do listen to this podcast, right? Uh, I I know Brooke and Anna listen to it every now and then. I'm not sure if uh, Chris and Island do. Gotcha, gotcha. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, no, I was talking about it because we're all part of the same Discord together. You invited me because we were having like a Dead by Daylight night or something <laughs> like that that I joined on, and and I've been slowly just like posting memes and random shit on there. Um, I, I, I guess that is one thing I can kind of, that's mildly interesting that I could bring up right now mm-hmm. is, um, I discovered, uh, Backlogged, which is kind of like a letterboxed for video games. Um, I also have a letterbox as well that I just started putting together, uh, at, uh, Brooks Request. And as I go on through and as I'm doing these games right here, I decided, hey, wait a second. I have a list of pretty much all the games I've ever beaten on here, 
which I, I basically just kind of was on my phone slowly adding them throughout, like watching or binge watching Netflix or something like that. <laughs> but anyway, I thought to myself, I wonder if I could make a list of like the top 50 games in no particular order in terms of what it is. So I did. And now I have my list of 50 top 50 personal games of all time. And then I thought to myself, okay, I wonder how I can break, further break this data down. Like maybe I can go ahead and sort by like platform, you know, see what platform I prefer to play on, what publisher I prefer to be with, that sort of thing too. And then two hours later, after like all these charts and all these graphs and everything, I was just like, oh, wait a second. I started on Adderall last week. This makes so much sense. Oh, man. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You, I didn't know you got Adderall. I know you're doing you're well yeah. different, but uh, how's Adderall going for you? Oh, yeah, sure. No, absolutely. No. Um, yeah, I um, just really, really briefly on this point right there, I did originally was with one psychiatrist. Um, um, I Long story short, I've been talking to a therapist who over the past year and he was just like, dude, I, I really, really highly think you might have ADHD. I would recommend getting tested out for that. Um, went to one psychiatrist, she confirmed it, and then she was just like, I'm going to go ahead and prescribe you Wilbutrin instead of like a stimulant. Um, from what I understand, a lot of people or a lot of providers are really, really hesitant because there's so much of an addictive quality to it. And there's kind of an epidemic that's being prescribed more and more and more. Like there's an actual Adderall shortage right now in the country oh. um, that a lot of providers are very, very hesitant to prescribe stimulants, which I totally understand. Um, but at the same time, there was some other issues with that psychiatrist. And then I started seeing a new psychiatrist and this one was much quicker, much easier. I really did enjoy it. Um, uh, my time with her thus far. And then she just said, okay, well, let's go ahead and try you on a stimulant. We'll start you with the lowest possible dose, see how that affects you. And then, you know, we can move on up from there if need be. Um, it's been really good for me thus far. I mean, People say it's life-changing. I haven't felt it's been life-changing just yet, but I definitely am able to focus more. My biggest thing is just little things like switching tasks or being interrupted. It doesn't annoy me as much as it did before. Mm -hmm. Like previously, if I ever, you know, was concentrated on a work task and then all of a sudden my cat throws up in the other room or my girlfriend asks me to do something, I would be really, really frustrated and be like, ah, all right, fine. And then I get back and it takes me like 10 minutes to kind of recenter myself and get back into that zone. Whereas now it's kind of like, okay, well, I'll take care of it. All right, I'm back. And there's still a transition period, but it's much, much lessens. Hmm. Um, I also find myself just not getting bored as easily like you know the feeling of like you pick up a game you play it for 20 minutes and then you're just like yeah i don't feel like this and you pick up another one and then you look through your steam library and just nothing interests you anymore um i still feel that but it's definitely been lessons on that front like i'm able to kind of concentrate and give games a fairer shot before which is good because there's a lot of like backlog stuff i'm kind of working through that i'm enjoying a lot more um but yeah, I, I, I think the biggest thing that can sum it up is that I was reading on a subreddit about how, you know, now that medication, eventually, once you find a good balance for you, it's not so much that, you know, it's going to be a life changing, you're completely pushed on over. It's just now you have a new baseline and you can kind of build up those good habits and routines from there. Oh. And that's kind of where I'm feeling I'm at right now. Again, it's only been about a week and a half, so maybe I'll have that change later on. But there's your long answer. Oh, well, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sorry, no, I thought I told you about that, uh, but uh, yeah, that's what I'm kind of doing right now. Anyway, uh, so I spent two hours going over graphs on my favorite video games of all time, and I was just like, oh, th this might be this might be an effect of that, that might be a 
cause and effect sort of situation going on in. But you didn't put Pokemon on that list, which I still think is a crime. I, I think Pokemon has to be a huge influence on you, regardless of whether or not it does now. Okay, dude. All right. So now this is my honest opinion on it. I obviously back in elementary school came on out, played the hell out of Pokemon uh, Blue, caught all 150, and then got a Game Genie and caught all 151 with Mew. Uh, got that in there. Uh, my best friend's mother actually knitted me a sweater that said Dan is a Pokemon master for like my Aww. fourth grade birthday party or something like that. It was really, really cute. Ever since then, I've tried to get back into the series over and over again. Like I've tried to get into Ruby and Sapphire. I tried to get into Diamond and Pearl. I tried to get an X and Y. Every single time I get about halfway through and I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bored with this. I really don't want it anymore. And let's be honest, the recent games are kind of trashed. Oh, I haven't played any of them. <laughs> so. what, what about, wait, what about Gold and Silver? You never played Gold and Silver? I never played Gold and Silver. Fuck? I'm sure I would have enjoyed Gold and Silver. I just never had a Game Boy Color growing Go up. Go back and get I Gold and Silver. To gold and Silver and Red and Blue. I know, I played it. Yeah, no, I played back through it. Yeah, during my co- uh, In my early college slash late high school, I emulated all those Game Boy games that I missed, like Ocarina of Time, because I never had a uh, Nintendo 64 a growing game. up. Uh, yeah, it is. It really, really is. Um, was that on your list? I didn't see that on your list. That was another one that wasn't on my mm. list. Uh, I think your so list is again, wrong. It was a list of my. <laughs> it was a list of my top favorite personal games, like games that either had a huge impact on me growing up, or games I just really, really spoke to me. That sort of thing too. Games I felt very, very strongly about. Every single one on the list uh, felt like that. So let me go ahead and pull it up real quick. The so Dead or Alive Beach uh, Volleyball Two. That was that was your number one. That was on there, yes. And then the Extreme Beach Volleyball version 3 with, like, the Venus suit and shit like yeah, didn't, that. I didn't don't 3 know. just come out? Game. Didn't they just, like, release 3? I have no idea, dude. I'm pretty sure. I, I, have absolutely I, no I, I I've never played them. I, I, I've played the original games, but that one I just know the lore yeah. of that you never actually have to fight anybody in that game. You can just yeah. you can go around and, uh, and compete against people who aren't there, like, go to empty islands and compete there, and you, can win, and you automatically win, so you can beat the game by, like, basically showing up at places where people aren't. And then winning by default, <laughs> which is a great, great game gotcha. mechanic. That is pretty awesome. Uh, now, Ocarina of Time, like, it's an amazing game. I absolutely loved it. Obviously, it's huge and influential. If you had gunned to my head and asked me to say, like, what would be the probably most agreed upon number one game of all time if you asked a sample size of, like, 100 people, I probably would say Ocarina of Time. Either that or Super Metroid. Um, but... Personally, I took a look at this and I was like, okay, what what game did I enjoy more? Honestly, did I enjoy Ocarina of Time more or did I enjoy Breath of the Wild more? And I went with Breath of the Wild. Really? I, yes, Ooh. I loved Breath Ooh. of the Wild. I, 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 see, Breath of the Wild is the game where I start playing in like five minutes and I'm like, I can't do this anymore and I have to turn it off. But Ocarina of Time, I don't know why. I can constantly play that game over and over again. I just love, I, I don't think any other game has nailed exploration as well as Breath of the Wild does. I just, any time a game can get me into a gameplay loop where I'm exploring for the sake of exploration, just because I'm curious to see what's around the corner and then genuinely most of the time feel rewarded for it. Not because it's just like a Korok seed or something like that, but it's a new surprising vista or there's a dragon fight or some shit like that. I, I just, I absolutely love it. Um, Outer Wilds was the same way as well. That made my list. Um, just exploration for exploration's sake. Uh, absolutely loved that game. But um, now that we're talking about it, yeah, I'll go ahead and post it to our social media so everyone can judge me. Yeah, do it. And I'll also go and post um, on the uh, uh, the Imgur, the little data analysis I did as well. Like, for example, there were no Naughty Dog games on there, like Last of Us or Uncharted or Crash Bandicoot or Jack and Dexter. 
And I was very surprised. I was like, wait a second, I should have one of these, shouldn't I? I thought they were one of my uh, favorite developers because I love pretty much all of their games. But when it came down to it, I just didn't feel that strongly about any of them. It was the racing game that got you, the Jack and Daxter racing. You're like, no, ruined it for me. Or maybe Crash Team Racing. Now, Crash Team Racing. Yeah, Crash was great, but Uh, Jack and Daxter Racing was weird. That game was, I I didn't understand that game. Yeah, gotcha. Um, in terms of going back to horror, though, I did have several <laughs> horror games on there. Um, Silent Hill 2 was on there, which is probably my favorite horror game of all time. Uh, Resident Evil 4 was on there, which is another one if, objectively, you were to say, like, what is the best video game of all time, objectively, if you ask that sample size. That would probably be high on the list as well. Um, I also had PT on there just because <laughs> it was such a huge, huge thing in the video game community for the longest time. Uh, Bloodborne, if you count it. Left 4 Dead, if you count it. Left 4 Dead's great. Yeah, definitely, definitely horror. Yeah. One of the best games ever yeah. made. Yeah, definitely. But, like, that's one of those things, too, because, like, as I was categorizing it, I was like, would I really consider Resident Evil 4 horror, or would I be considered more of an action adventure? And, you know, the first three games, definitely more survival horror, but Resident Evil 4, I would consider more of an action adventure. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that's definitely where it makes the jump. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I think that one, like... That one's more of an action adventure with horror elements, while I feel like the later ones are just more action adventure with like a very thin set dressing of horror. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like Seven, I would say, is a very traditional action adventure, or not action adventure, straight up horror survival game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Village definitely delved into uh, action adventure at that point. Yeah, but again, they kind of had their moments, like the Lady De- Demetresque Castle. That was a little bit survival horror. It was just way too short. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Um, so going back into that, uh, let's raise some hell. Uh, this is Hellraiser. I don't think we need an introduction for this one. Nah. One of the big horror franchises for the longest time has been laying dormant for the longest time. However, I do kind of want to ask you, what is your history of the Hellraiser series? Uh, when did you start watching it? You know, what, what, what's your kind of take on the whole series? That sort of thing. Yeah. So no, I've watched, you know, again, I've, I've watched every single one of them, um, as I mentioned before, like, yeah, my, my, my buddy Ann and I watched him back in college, um, like, pretty, like, you know, the whole series all the way through. Um, I think at that point, um, they only had out until Hellworld. I don't think, um, uh, what's that one with an R? I always keep forgetting it. Hellworld, not Rebirth, whatever. The uh, Reborn, no, not Reborn. I, whatever. But yeah, but yeah uh, Hellworld was basically what was up until that time. Um, so, uh, you know, we watched them all back then, and then as the other ones came out, uh, we watched those too. Um I, I really enjoy the original series, um, and I, I've read the short story, um, The Hellbound Heart. Um, I, you know, I, I kind of tend to appreciate a lot of the ones that are kind of the, the later Hellraiser movies that aren't really Hellraiser movies, but, you know, kind of got put that name onto them because, like, you know, like Inferno. I really love Inferno. I think it's one of the better ones. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we did an episode on that one, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did, yeah. Like, I, I really enjoyed them. I think that Judgment, the most recent one, was pretty weird um and you know then there were the ones that they kind of made just to keep the the you know hold on the franchise um but yeah i think you know i think for a series that has 10 maybe i'm not sure how many how many films are in the series i think it's you know it's a pretty good series um you know i think that they always try kind of new things and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the later films were uh you know other scripts that got turned into hellraiser movies but i think because of that they kind of are a little bit more fun i think that uh you know, the lore really kind of drops after the second one. The second one, where they first kind of introduce mm-hmm. Leviathan, lore kind of disappears until um, Judgment, I feel like, when they introduce the um, the Arbiter and whatnot. Um, but, you know, to me, 
a lot of those later films I wouldn't want to watch again, but the first two and, uh, you know, three is kind of fun and, and uh, Inferno's great. Um, like, that, those ones are kind of, you know, I'll, I'll rewatch those, but, you know, the latter half I think are forgettable. Um, but mm-hmm. how about you? What, what's your relationship? It always seemed like... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it, it's one of those where, like, I started getting into horror movies. I kind of watched them piecemeal. Uh, the only other memory I do have is I do remember in college uh, we were playing... Um, cyberpunk uh the original tabletop game in um one of the common areas and then one of our acquaintances that we knew got together with a group of friends and they watched the movie as we were playing as well just because you know it was a common space that's what it was um i do remember kind of going back on that front um i enjoyed the first two i think the special effects are amazing still hold up really really well um jesus swept (laughs) great scene great special effects uh just you know, that, that, that's one of the horror movies moments that really, really stick with me. Uh, it is a little bit light on a plot. It's basically, you know, someone solves a puzzle and then they get tormented by demons on that front. Uh, but there's always been kind of like this BDSM sexual angle to it as well, which makes them a little bit interesting in terms of horror movie villains. If you could consider them that, I'd say they're more of an antagonist than anything else. Um but it's a very interesting concept, very interesting kind of glimpse into this particular lore and world with the Leviathan and the Cenobites and everything like that. But after the third one, I would say the series has been really, really struggling to kind of find its way. It, it is one of those series where it kind of jumps around from lore to lore. It tosses stuff out. It's basically kind of tosses stuff at the wall, see what sticks. What's that? It's an MMO called The Hell World? Sure, why not? We'll go for it. Internet's trending right now. Uh, That sort of thing. And it's always kind of been a detriment to the series. And I think one of the big reasons why um, this hasn't been as well known as like Freddy or Jason, because at the very least, those sequels, they were bad. Don't get me wrong, but you kind of knew what you were getting into. And then these ones, it was very much a crapshoot as to whether it's good or not. And most of the time, it's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Um So this is a series that honestly has been on ice for quite some time now, in my opinion, which is why I was really, really excited when I saw that this was going to be rebooted. Um, And then not only that, too, our boy, um, David Bruckner, who did The Ritual and The Nighthouse, um, was also um, directing this one as well. Mm -hmm. So um, we were excited about that one. Hulu really knocked it out of the park with the Prey remake. So, or not the Prey remake, the Prey movie. Um... So we were all excited for this one as well. Anyway, uh, let's get into it. So, Andrew, what did you think about Hellraiser 2022? Yeah, so, so you know, to, to not get into spoilers, we can talk about this later. I, 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 for me, it's a mixed bag. To me, it kind of honestly, I, I really wanted to like this movie, especially after Prey. And I don't think I disliked it. I just didn't find myself loving it as much as I wanted to. Um, so I think, I think I'm kind of in this uh, vacuum or, you know, to a degree of like my expectations versus what I got. Um, so I think I'm still kind of reconciling with that a little bit. Um, I don't, again, I, I'm not, I didn't dislike it, but I, I don't think I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's some potential, I guess. I, I don't want to say too much, mm-hmm. but I just feel like, uh, I think that I'm, I think my, I think objectively I can say it was a pretty well-made movie, but I think subjectively with my history of this franchise, I think I just wanted something slightly different, um, Mm-hmm. But I'm yeah, not not saying it's a bad movie. I, I just think that, I think that my expectations were slightly different, um, and maybe didn't quite meet them. But how about yourself? Gotcha. I really liked it. Um, I definitely have my problems with it. I definitely feel there's a lot to criticize about this movie. 
However, just me personally, this is the best Hellraiser movie in a decade, if not more. Um, So I was very excited to finally kind of get back on the right track. It did feel like, okay, this movie, this this franchise is slowly course correcting. And it's hopefully it's doing really, really well, because I would like to see this particular style continue, uh, see kind of where it goes from here, because I do think they have a solid foundation, even though if this isn't the perfect uh, first outing, Mm -hmm. that's kind of where I'm on that, that front. Um, is that actually is a good point because this is a more recent movie and we actually do care about the plot as compared to something like Jeepers Creepers <laughs> Reborn. Um, I, 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 let's go ahead and kind of talk any spoiler free things we want to talk about first before we jump into spoiler territory, or maybe we can just go ahead and jump straight into spoiler territory. I'm not sure what your thoughts are, or what you want to put forward for the, our audience. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I don't I, cause again, I, I think that it's hard for me to start talking about this movie without spoiling some elements. Um, well, so, you know, just, just a basic description of what this movie's about. Um, so that this movie, you know, it much, you know, anybody who knows Hellraiser knows the rough trappings, but basically this movie follows, um, a young, a young woman and, um, uh, as she kind of comes in contact with the box, uh, the, the uh, Lachman's box or the, uh, what the lament configuration essentially. Um, yep. and, um, she finds this box, uh, her and her boyfriend find it. Um, and after they find it, uh, her brother goes missing. So, uh, the, the story basically follows her and her boyfriend as they try to figure out what's going on with the box, where it came from, uh, what's happening, uh, to them as they interact with the box, um, and kind of uncovering a little bit of the history of not just, uh, what the box contains, but other kind of people who have interacted with it in the past. Um, mm-hmm. so that, that's kind of a rough explanation of what this movie's about, um, I, I would still suggest watching it, so um, that's why I don't want to go too much into it. I would suggest watching it. I think that uh, Dan, we probably we can explore the characters and Pinhead and stuff, but I don't want to. I think that that's going to result in us spoiling elements of it. So uh, that's kind of where I want to leave it. Uh, my final comment before we hop okay. into spoilers. Um, just you know, even even I if agree, I don't love yeah. it, I would suggest I do think it's worth a watch. Um, oh, a hundred percent. I agree with that too. And then the other thing I want do want to say is just there are some other themes that this movie tackles, like in terms of themes of addiction. Um, I, I mean, obviously, there's, it's a Hellraiser movie. There's going to be a lot of body horror in this one as well. And the gory is very good, personally. I, well, at least I thought so. Um, but I, I, I do kind of wish that it leaned a little bit more into that element of addiction that they kind of set up in the first third and didn't really do too much with afterwards. Um, I felt they could have been stronger on that front. But we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to spoiler territory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so do you want to hop into spoilers? Sure, absolutely. So in terms of uh, both of us are in agreement that if you like Hellraiser, definitely go ahead and recommend watching this movie. Just kind of keep your expectations in check. Uh, how about if you've never seen a Hellraiser movie before? Do you think this would be a good introduction to the series? I think it would be... A, I honestly think it would be better if you hadn't seen the series. I think that... Because I think for me, as somebody who's so familiar with the series, I think that's part of where my limitation comes from. Like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to look at it unbiased, but naturally, you know, my, my knowledge of the series kind of steps in. And when things cha- are changed about the lore or when elements kind of pop up that I'm not familiar with or that, like, contradict things in the past, I, I think that, mm-hmm. you know, I think if I was able to go in fresh, I rather would. Because I think that being reintroduced to this new lore um, is easier if, if you don't, you know, if you don't have ex- those expectations going in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with that as well. They definitely do change up a fair bit amount of the lore. Personally, to me, I was just thinking, okay, the lore has kind of already been messed with throughout the sequels and everything like that so far, so I'm okay. I, I, I don't necessarily think it was the best decisions in terms of what they made, because it kind of opens up some questions and that sort of thing as well. But beyond that, it's uh, all good there. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, other than that, okay. So I would definitely, I think we both would recommend it. Just kind of keep your expectations in check. Uh, expect, a, you know, a solid, decent horror movie, but uh, you might have some issues with it later on, and that's kind of where we're mm-hmm. at. All right, anyway, uh, let's go ahead. So spoiler warning for right now. If you do not wish to be spoiled for the Hellraiser remake or reboots, stop listening. <laughs> go listen to Jeepers Creepers instead. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so now we are in spoiler territory right now. We're gosh, where do you want to start? Um, do you want to start with like the general plot summary or something else or what else? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, let's, let's hop into, you know, I think the, uh, you know, what this, what this film franchise is known for, um, is, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about, you know, Pinhead. How, how, what do you think about Pinhead in this movie? Sure, absolutely. And I do apologize if uh, you hear some background noise. It looks like they're blowing leaves outside my apartment or something like that. So you might hear a brrrr. I promise I haven't saw the limit configuration. (laughs) Cenobites are off to get me and something like that. Uh, Anyway, so yes, just a little bit of background information for those of you who don't know. They did replace um, the host, um, or is it the priest? Uh, The Hell Priest was his name, yeah, Um, in the original book. The Hell Priest is the official. Gotcha. Wasn't it the host at some point? I don't. Or am I thinking of another think one? So I think I think he's always called the Hell Priest in, in the in the story. I guess so. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, it was originally uh, Doug Bradley. Um, he he <clears> played <throat> him all the way up to Hell World, um, and then with um, Revelations and um, Judgment, it was two different two other actors. I think uh, for the Revelations one, I thought was really bad, uh, but the one I got for uh, Judgment mm-hmm. is okay, <laughs> serviceable. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah. So yeah. So this time. Um, so in in the past, um, he was always presented as a very kind of thin character. Um, it, the, the book never really said the gender, um, but uh, in a filmic representation, he's always a thin guy. And all the Cenobites were really kind of uh, wearing this kind of black uh, leather that was kind of intertwined with their bodies, kind of uh, and whatnot. Um, and he, you know. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it's almost like BDSM leather daddy adjacent <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah. On that front, which reminds me of one of my favorite Arrested Development quotes. Do you have anything that says "Daddy likes leather"? <laughs> Do you mean leather daddy? Ooh, is there such a thing? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. And then I kind of going back to the gender. I think you were going to this as mm. well. Were you going to talk about the new? Uh, yeah, yeah, go for it. Oh yeah, sure. Um. So basically, uh, this new actress right there, Doug, Doug Jones, uh, was asked to do a cameo for this particular movie, but he refused, or not Doug Jones, uh, Doug Bradley. Doug Jones is the other horror actor that's in everything. Uh, but basically, uh, Doug Bradley is um, basically is saying, I've hung up this. I want to pass it on to the next generation. I don't want to take away from anyone. So that is what's going to be um, taken care of. Uh, so please pass off the torch, do the own thing. Uh, but we got the new person, who is uh, Jamie Clayton, is playing the priest in this movie. Um, and they really kind of leaned into the androgyny of the gender uh, for the hell, the hell priest as well. Uh, Pinhead, I guess, is what we can call it, because that's the popular name for this character. Uh, which is interesting, because Jamie Clayton is also a trans woman as well. Um, so that kind of brought an interesting kind of layer towards it in terms of her voice. Um, and of course, they distorted it as well bringing it on in, but it very much kind of contributed to the non-binary, otherworldly feel to it, uh, which was a little bit interesting. Anyway, what did you think of her performance in this movie? I, see, I liked the elements of her. Like, I, I was thinking about it to myself a little while ago before we saw the movie, and I was think, trying to, like, you know, think about my feelings of uh, uh, Doug Bradley and kind of, uh, you know, do I do I consider him Pinhead the way I consider, like... Um, 
you know, um, Robert England's Freddy Krueger. And I, I see, mm-hmm. to me, the in, a, in my recollection of the films and, you know, my experience is I always kind of consider Pinhead to be kind of a side character. And I think that, like, he never kind of gets in the front of, of the... Uh, of the movies I felt like, you know, I, I, he kind of became almost like you kind of mentioned like the host of the Cenobites over time and, you know, the leader of them. But I never really considered him, him to be like some big force like we see with Freddy or Jason as like these uh, main characters. Like he, they kind of, they were part of the dressing of the, of the story. Like, you know, they, they weren't antagonistic. They weren't, uh, well, I guess he, in three he kind of is because he's, you know, has a soul and whatnot. Uh, his soul's killed. His human part is killed. That's why. Um we don't talk but about that. I, I, I enjoy it. But, um, you know, like, I, I never really considered him a villain. Like, they were, they were, I don't know, like, like almost like animals. You know, they were something that, that this is just their nature. This is their job. This is what they do. Um, so I always, I thought he was replaceable. Not, you know, again, not to say anything bad about him. Just, uh, you know, he was okay. Um, so, you know, the idea of a new a new actress or actor, actress uh, playing him, I didn't have any problems with that. Um, I thought that the the vibe of her was great the um the look of the character was great um i just kind of felt like again for me um because the character is always kind of a side character in my mind i thought this movie put a lot of onus on her and on the role of pinhead to advertise the movie and to kind of add the horror or the um, legitimacy of the character and so i thought like they were kind of she she appeared a lot she stood around a lot and for as a result i kind of felt felt she was underwhelming um, you know, you know, like mm-hmm. I felt like she didn't really do a lot in the movie, and I think that's an, unfortunate because I think that when she was there and she was present when she did the thing with the needle and the neck, I was like, yes, this is the character I want. This is like an antagonist. This is like not an antagonist, but this is like somebody who's kind of just like you know there for pain and pleasure, as like the Cenobites are always kind of told for. Um, but I feel like a lot of the movie she's just standing around, and she's kind of just there to be like, here's Pinhead. Um, so part of me almost wishes that they'd given her a different character, like made, made you know, it's a hell priest, but have it be not a pinhead analog, essentially, um, because I feel like they took a lot of the ceremony that comes with pinhead and didn't do much with it. We're just kind of like, here's pinhead, because you expect pinhead to be in this movie. Um, and I wish that other than the look, there's a little bit more reinvention, um, which isn't the actress's fault. I think that, when again, when she was there, she was great. I just wish they'd done something mm-hmm. different with it. Um, yeah, more so the writing. Yeah, exactly. Makes yeah, sense. I think a lot of this movie, is for me, yeah, is the it, writing. <laughs> And go back and going back to what you said earlier in terms of Pinhead and how they're used in the uh, previous movies and everything like that. Like with Doug Bradley, Pinhead is not the antagonist of the original Hellraiser. It's um, Julia. Oh, God, I'm having a brain fart. Julia and Frank. No, no. Frank. That was it. Yeah, Frank. Um, Yeah, no, Frank is the original protagonist. He's just basically just a force of nature. It's like in Twister, the tornado is... Well, I guess twist. That, that's a bad example. <laughs> Tornado's the antagonist. I never read. Uh, no, it, really, the hell priests are just kind of more just circumstance um, in terms of what happens. You open up the puzzle, you solve the Lameca configuration, they come on out and they attack whoever opened it up um, and kill and torture them and all of that good stuff. It, it's not, they have no desire, they have no drive beyond that rule that they stick on over to. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I completely agree, 100% agree with you on that front in terms of, yeah, it would have been better, I think, if it was used a little bit more sparingly, but she did really knock it on the park. I'm curious to see where it goes from here, but Pinhead is one of those horror movie villains where the less you see him, the better. 
like Inferno, for all the problems that movie had, um, did do a very good job in terms of you really only see Pinhead at the very, very end for that final scene. Mm-hmm. And that was a good like escalation up until that point. It felt earned. Whereas here, you see Pinhead in the very first scene in the park, and then you're just like, okay, well, they're just going to show it over and over again. Um, but yeah, that's that. Yeah. Well, and like, and anyway. let's use that as a way to kind of talk about this movie a little bit, too, in terms of, cause I, think, I think, again, Pinhead's appearance is a symptom of, I think, for me, what makes this movie kind of difficult. Um, so, you know, as, as we mentioned earlier, in the, you know, the, the, this movie, so the, the plot of the first movie, if we go back to that, the plot of the first movie and kind of the first two, I'd say they're, they're really closely tied to each other. Um, is basically um, this guy um, hears about the box. He's basically trying to find live to extremes. So he um, finds this box, you know, wants to unlock it to like find pleasure, you know, find a reward essentially. And when he opens it, he just gets destroyed essentially. We don't really see why. And so um, we know what's going on. So then uh, the movie jumps ahead in time. And the primary story of the first movie is basically uh, this girl and her her, her, uh, father and stepmother all kind of move into this house and we find that the guy who's destroyed in the beginning is still alive and uh, is a former lover of um, stepmom. And basically, he manipulates her to uh, bring people to come get sacrificed so that he can kind of use their lifeblood to reanimate and come back, essentially. And while he's doing this, he is technically fleeing from the Cenobites. The Cenobites, you know, found him when he opened the box originally, condemned him to hell, but he somehow avoided it. Um, and we see interactions between Christy, the main Kirsty, the main character, um, and the Cenobites kind of trying to deal with them and, uh, you know, uh, make a trade, essentially. Um, and we also kind of see how Julia, the, the stepmother, and Frank, uh, the antagonist who was killed in the beginning of the film, uh, tried to kind of manipulate Christy and the father and Pinhead to kind of get their desires, essentially. Um, so, you know, it's less of a story about... Um, Kirsty trying to run away from the Cenobites as much as it is of trying to save her family and um, stop Frank, essentially. Uh, so Frank is the evil, and the Cenobites are just, uh, you know, the, the, the nature force, the force of nature or the, the, the police, essentially, who guard this, not guard, but come out from this box. Um, and then in this movie, we have a similar kind of thing, but in this one, uh, the, instead of it just being, um, you know, Frank as the overarching evil force the the force in this case is the box itself the box itself uh demands sacrifice um and uh our main character riley uh after she loses her brother and uh her and her boyfriend try to figure out what's going on with this box um and we learn basically that there is a frank-like character somebody who is trying to manipulate the box and um again give sacrifices to it but instead of it being um him trying to kind of build his body back which i guess you could say he is to a degree he's trying to basically get a wish so in this in this movie the box functions as you know almost like a, a genie's lamp where if you uh or a monkey's paw is probably more accurate where um if you sacrifice enough people to the box then you get a wish or you can uh you know pick mm-hmm. a one of six options from it uh that will uh you know give you something essentially um how did you feel about that plot element? It was interesting. I do really like the monkey paw aspect to it. Um, I thought it opened up a lot of interesting lore in terms of, okay, there's several different types of lament configurations, and apparently every single wish falls under one of those six categories. You know, how can we move around for that? How can we get a monkey paw, all of that? And we actually did do some discussion on the Discord afterwards and after we saw the movie. I thought it was different for the series. I I'd like the direction it took on that front. It kind of provides motivation in terms of, 
why people would want to open up this limit configuration because after a certain while, you know, once word gets out about what this limit configuration does, people are going to be like, eh, yeah, I don't want to work, work, open that up. But if you add an element of, yes, it's terrible and you have to sacrifice people for it, but it gives you this thing. Um, I thought that was an interesting angle to it. So I, I like the concept personally in terms of the change to the lore. How about you? Yeah. Cool. Like I, I, so like, like what you said, like, you know, in the original, in the, in the, sorry, Alphonse's, Stop, bud. Alphonse. Um, so, like, you know, in, in the original, like, it ends in the, in the sequels, yeah, like, there is this kind of whole, like, uh, mystique around the box. You know, people seeking, you know, the uh, the extremes of pleasure. And that's kind of what made the Cenobites, uh, you know, kind of work to a degree. Because, you know, they, they popped out and they were like, yeah, you want extreme pleasure. Like, you know, we're going to put you to the edge of pleasure through pain. So, like, the hooks and the BDSM all really made a lot kind of put together to make that combined image i think really worked um and you know a lot of times there was monkey's pawness to it or there was kind of like you know like you basically your, your soul was gonna go you were going to hell but it was kind of like yeah you're gonna you know for messing with this shit but it was kind of i was kind of interpreted as the cenobites like at one point they do kind of get evil again when three he loses humanity but like they're kind of like into it you know they're like yeah this is great <laughs> like you know like, this hurts you but this you know this pain is going to be such so like great for you you'll you'll be a fan of it uh, such delights to show yeah, you yeah exactly. and that that kind of that that brings me to one complaint i did have about this movie that i feel is very central to the Cenobite character in terms of the weird like sexual grotesqueness of it all in terms of the bdsm you know pleasure to pain and all that sort of thing um i, I felt that was very missing from this movie and i feel that that is a key key part of their characterization that i was very surprised to see that they didn't really address that at all um mm -hmm. well yeah no and, and exactly that's what i think that's where i think this kind of partly lost me is i think that it it took the elements of the lament configure because you know in the past it was the lament configuration that was the name of the box um and now that we've kind of they've expanded it to this wish fulfillment angle and this blood sacrifice that needs to happen to have it occur and i think that really kind of fundamentally changes it because like you know like you said it, it does add reason to the sense that the box you know, again, the normal person wouldn't want it. But that's but that was always kind of the thing, is that they, the people in Hellraiser, part of the story, you know, Kiersey got caught up in it. But part of it is that people, nice people, good people, don't open the box. The people who open the box are the ones who are kind of, you know, maybe need to go to hell anyway. Like Frank, uh, mm -hmm. like, uh, I forget the doctor's name, Shebron, Cherbel, whatever his name is. There, there, there's a doctor in the second one who manipulates this girl into opening the box. Essentially, that's his entire thing. Uh, you know, the people who don't open the box out of, for a good reason. Um, and this kind of made it that, you know, that, you know, maybe Riley isn't the best person, but she opens the box kind of, like, the box in this one seems to open up really easily. In the, in the past, they kind of implied that it was a hard thing to open. Everybody can fucking open the box in this movie. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, it's it, it's a lot more, um, I don't know, like, she she's a good person, but then she has to open it to, you know, try to get her brother back, so she becomes a bad person over time through killing people. You just, I just don't see the same morals involved or the same kind of reasoning behind it. Um, that I saw in the first one. So that, yeah. that plot element just kind of seemed weird to me. And I think that they also, uh, you know, her motivation in this partly is addiction, right? She's addicted. She, she constantly is pursuing things that hurt herself, that the death driver, we call it, you know, mm -hmm. the, 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 what do you call it? Um, what's, what's, what's the object? Ah? Is that, is that in, in film where it's like that, that the pursuit of the death drive, that feeling that's so close to death that like, it feels great, uh, essentially. Um, no, uh, I, I think that's what it is. Or that's, um, and like, uh, the the idea that 
she in this film is pursuing that drive, but also trying to save her brother. Though I think those two kind of things get confused and kind of also get forgotten in the story a bit, which I think uh, made it hard for me to uh, follow along a bit. Because um, do, do you agree? Do you think that the element of saving the brother? Do you feel that was very present in the film? Really, like in ter- other than when they say it every now and then, did it feel like a drive? I felt like I felt. Like, it was very much a kind of, oh, we get no cell phone service out here. It was kind of very obviously to set up a, you know, way to drive the plot forward. Um, Like, for example, I remember in the second half, um, one of the characters asks Riley, uh, yeah, hey, why don't you just go ahead and throw the box away? And she's like, no, I need it. It might contain a hint to find my brother or something like that. Which, I, that was just very clearly just like, okay, they just check mark that off so they were able to kind of move the drive flat, plot forward. It, it didn't feel like that decision was made because that's what she wanted to do at that point in time, what made sense for her character. It was more so because we needed to get the plot over to this next plot point, so that would be why. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Just going back to this, yeah, I do feel the addiction subplots, they kind of talked about it at the very beginning during the first act. She's a former addict, she struggles with addiction, her brother, who is the one of the first victims, is, you know, obviously very much cares about her and worries about her addiction and that sort of thing as well. But at the same time, I don't feel it affects her characterization as much as it should have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like they really could have leaned into that with the bikes and everything in terms of she's destroying herself through her addiction, but she's, uh, you know, getting pleasure from being high or something like that. But at the same time, too, it destruction. Which kind of leans me into the ending as well, which kind of fell flat for me. I like the core concept. I like the idea. But I felt the whole, the Cenobites leave her alone at the very end because they realize that she has basically, through her own screw-ups, caused the deaths of so many of her friends and so much destruction. Living with that information would be more painful than whatever they could do to her. I, I like the concept of that. I just, I felt it could have been hammered in more. Yeah. Um, well, And I, I think a big part of it is to, she saves the other person at the very, very end. Riley's, uh, uh, the, 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 the roommate's boyfriend's um, at the very, very end. So she's not the sole survivor. I think it would have been more effective if everyone else died. Yeah. Well, like, I, I admittedly, I, I do like that her brother's boyfriend lives. I thought that was, I, I, cause you know, of all the characters when you're introduced in the beginning, who's going to die? I'm like, oh, probably the brother's boyfriend. Like, he's not, you know, he's not connected. He's not really connected to her. Um, so I think of all the people that live, you know, it's great. And I think I also liked his character. I thought he actually, he like, he, I would rather follow him, honestly, in this movie. Because <laughs> he seemed like, you know, he, we see him a lot being supportive on both sides of Riley and of the bro- brother, but also like calling Riley out when she does stupid shit. I was like, you're actually probably the best character in this movie. I'm glad he lived. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like. So how about this too? Mm. How about this? Uh, just real quick, sorry for no. interrupting, but what if he does survive at the very, very ends, but Riley doesn't know it. And like, she doesn't know it because she's like, I don't know, put in a situation where she's never going to find out about it. Like maybe she moves out of the city or something like that. Like, I'm okay with him surviving. I just, I don't know what it brought to the plots personally. Well, I think, um, especially with the hammering on in at the very end, I, again, besides just a, uh, moving on. I feel in. like part of the reason that they had him survive was to kind of give Riley, an out almost like a look at me not being a complete piece of shit because she killed her boyfriend she she you know she she had that moment of killing her boyfriend instead of killing him letting him die because a lot of them like like you said like everybody fucking dies because of her 
like I mm-hmm. just found her a very unlikable character, um, and which is unfortunate because I originally had sympathy for her because we meet her as an addict, we meet her as somebody who feels like they lost control of their life, and her brother is constantly trying to be helpful, uh, and I feel like we're supposed to at some point maybe feel like the brother is kind of a dick because like even I think she even says to her boyfriend that like he just wants to control things, but what we really see him is is caring, and like we see him kind of talk with the boyfriend about like you know I want to go help her, and the boyfriend's like no, just you know give her a moment, she'll figure things out, and you kind of see the back and forth like. The thing is, I think we see a lot outside of their relationship. We never actually see the two of them really interact, the brother and the sister, other than that one, like, fight they get in. So I think it made it really hard for me to feel for her story of wanting to save him because we never really saw them be good together to, or, you know, we never really saw that relationship cement itself. Yeah, I actually would disagree with that, um, honestly. I felt that one scene at the very beginning where he's basically chucking in on her and he's being a little bit angry and aggressive about it because addiction is very serious and he knows how it affected her so deeply. Uh, when they had that argument, I felt that was a very good, good like scene telling of the state of the relationship that they're currently in right now um, and how it's stressing out about them. I also don't think that Riley is supposed to be a likable protagonist. Um, like I definitely felt for her at the very, very beginning in terms of oh, she's, you know, really struggling with a lot of her past demons and that sort of thing. I, you know, I sympathize for her. I feel bad for her, definitely. But she is not a good person mm. in this movie. She makes a lot of bad, poor decisions. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, she's obviously, she needs help. She needs to get help, basically. And that's, but she turns all the help away. She moves her around. And that's the interesting angle I thought to it. It was someone you can sympathize with, but at the same time, too, you can kind of hate because she's the one fucking everything up. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess for me, it wasn't necessarily sympathizing with her, but it was tracking her. Like, I felt like, because, you know, the guy in Inferno, I forget what his name is, he's a, he's a complete jackass the entire movie. He's an asshole mm-hmm. people. He, he, I feel like he, he plants evidence on somebody at one point. You know, he's a complete ass. Yep. But I knew where, he, I knew who he was and where he was going. I felt like she was so erratic, which again, I think may have been part of her addict kind of a, life but mm-hmm. the way that her and her boyfriend acted the way that she uh you know bounced around from place to place the way it, it felt like the the plot was dragging her along and not character motivation um like where like you know she go, goes to that. the car trips uh happens to miss getting stabbed by the box uh the brother mm-hmm. dies randomly then she has to go find him and then she you know gets the random i forget even how she finds out about she goes on the internet and finds out about the box and that's how she finds out about the guy and like goes to the mansion and then they you know the guys in the wall like it felt like so much of that movie so much of her character wasn't didn't feel like i just, I just didn't know what she was going on in her head or how she's getting places it it just reminded me a lot of like it felt very like they took the plot of like the nightmare on elm street remake because i think like the exact same thing happens where people start dying she goes to the library learns about what freddy is comes back and then you know they go to the house where freddy lives things show up and there's the final like fight there it felt like they followed that formula more than they followed her developing as a person and like going from you know like trying to find her brother and naturally finding out what's going on it felt very much like Mm -hmm. she constantly fought against people getting rid of the box she would kind of consider getting rid of it but then something would happen instead of like something happening that would keep her away from the box and that happens she she's drawn right back to it it seemed kind of her character was just a uh a pawn to the plot, which, you know, can be well done if you're trying to say that she's being manipulated by the box, but it never came off that way to me. It came off as she just was like an erratic person and was maybe not written with consistency. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I could definitely see that. The only counterpoint I would have to that is, you know, she's an addict. Her life is an absolute mess. She's basically only strung upon because of the kindness of the people of her life and, you know, the people who care for and support her, who she does not treat right in this movie. Um, but at the same time, too, I kind of get the, the impression that she was impulsive. She wasn't, didn't really have any long-term plans. She was just kind of thinking about whatever made sense to her with her gut instinct. And as the movie established, she, her gut instinct is kind of shit, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do get what you're saying. Like, I, I think that's what I'm saying is what they were trying to go for. And I think they did, in some scenes, they did a really, really good job of that. Like, the, the the scene where she spills out the pills on the ground, and then she, like, you can see her trying to do the right decision, but then at the same time, she eventually succumbs to mm-hmm. it and picks up a few more pills to relapse. Um, more of those moments, I think, would have been better, or at the very least, better written of those moments as well. I, I think that would have been more interesting. And do we know why um, Riley was an addict? Like, because I, I, like my assumption is that something happened with their parents because their parents aren't mentioned or in the picture. That do we really need a reason? Like you know, people fall into addiction all the time. No, she went to a party, got slipped something, or they don't, they don't need a reason. But I'm thinking more for the payoff at the end of her wanting her brother back and her turning it down. I thought it'd have been more powerful if we learned that maybe they lost their parents. So for her, the brother's the anchor, and then you know, giving up having him come back is a bigger thing. You know, because she has that moment where she talks to Santa mm-hmm. and it's like, I know that I can't bring him back. And I think this was this big emotional moment, but I never, again, I never felt that there was, I never felt her longing for him that strongly, or I never felt her kind of dealing or struggling with the concept of death and somebody being gone versus somebody, you know, finding him essentially. So I thought that like that, that moment could have been a lot more powerful if it was, I want my brother back because I already lost my parents. You know, I've already lost so much, I need him. But I felt like without something like that, I feel like that, that, end scene where she kind of identifies that it's a monkey's paw that she knows that bring him back is not gonna be the same just kind of felt more like she'd seen a horror movie and it's like yeah that's not gonna go well but not like she'd mm-hmm. come to some realization or she'd come to something or you know like maybe driving into drugs because the loss of her parents got her nothing so bringing him back would be the same thing like i i feel like they're that could they could have they could have kind of tied that in to her to what's going on and made that uh, you know, made that death drive, that pursuit of something that's not going to get you anything in reality, uh, a little bit tighter to the plot and tighter to her character. Uh, which, which, yeah, which is why I thought maybe their parents died and that was why. Because to me, that justifies maybe a little bit more of her actions and makes that final uh, refusal to accept a boon uh, more powerful. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. All right, well, let's move on to the next topic, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, I am curious to see your thoughts on the established with the lore where instead of opening the box kind of damns you, it's being stabbed with it. And especially the kill later on, kind of the twist, um, whether being chased in the graveyard, mm-hmm. what you thought about that as well. I didn't like it. I, I Again, I, got, I think part of what made the box interesting to me is that you did it to yourself. You, you, you constantly pursued... It, it was the idea that you were pursuing this thing. You were opening it. You were the one who fucked with things. You know, you, it's, it's not just that you happen upon it. It's that you happen upon it and then you have to work at opening this box to get doomed, essentially. And this kind of made it that, like, you could just be a, a victim of a stabbing in that, you know, like the mm-hmm. brother touches the box and gets cut. The, you know, some people just get stabbed with it. And it just, to me, I, I just didn't like that. It felt like a, it felt very gimmicky. And, you know, it, it made it more slashery than I think, than 
it should be. I don't know. Like, you know, I think that they, I think part of the reason they did it is because then they can kill more people because everybody's having to open the box. So, you know, that's, that's, you know, uh, that's, that's a little bit weird that everyone seems to be able to open this crazy puzzle box. But if the same people can seem to open it and they can stab other people with it, it makes it a little bit more easy to make it slashery and like horror-ish because people are dooming people who are, you know, theoretically innocent. Um, like I thought it, it, the first time it happened or the first time it was used as like a, an intentional weapon was kind of interesting. But then the fact that they like, it became part of the plot, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Um, uh, how about you? I, I, I don't want to hop into the graveyard scene quite yet. Cause I think that's a, like a separate section of that, but how did you, what did you think of that <laughs> element of it, of the stabbing or the bleeding into it? I agree. And I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of it made it feel more slashery. Um, like really I, it, it's, the Cenobites have always been interested because they have like this, it, it, it's not in the movies, it's not deep or complicated in terms of the story, but it feels deep and complicated. Like there's this whole hell society behind them with rules and structures and organizations. And that was always kind of appealing to me. And I'm glad that the movies never really got into too much detail about it, even though they totally could, because less is more in terms of this example. Um, but yeah, just being in terms of the drive, the opening turned into, oh, you just get stabbed with it. Yeah, I think you hit the, hit the nail on the head. It is very slasher-esque. And then, so I was not a fan of that. And either. the twist you mentioned, what do you think of the twist? Uh, yeah, so the twist is in the graveyard scene, basically our main characters are being chased on over through the Cenobites. Um, at this point, they kind of recognize that five or six people, um, I think it was six people, Six people mm -hmm. basically have to be sacrificed using the box in terms of to be able to um, grant their wish. So they kind of realize at this time, okay, they're going to keep on coming until six people are sacrificed. Um, at one point, they are pinned by a gate. Uh, Chatterer, um, our, our teethy boy, is kind of munching down on them, trying to figure out a way to kind of eat them and kill them and that sort of thing. And what uh, Riley does is she takes the puzzle box and she stabs Chatterer with it. And it's kind of an oh shit moment because you really didn't think, oh, this is not going, okay, This is this the way the rules work? We're not 100% sure about that. Um, but yeah, um, apparently the Cenobites can be used to sacrifices as well, as we see later on. Pinhead basically goes, all right then, and then uh, sacrifices Chatterer, uh, rips him rips apart using the chains. Um, I thought it was a moment where it was just kind of oh shit in the moments, but at the same time too, when you think about it more and more, it's just like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Wait, why would this be? What, what What's going on here? Does that mean that this happens? And does that mean that this happens? And it just kind of like, it opened up a lot more questions and kind of broke with the established lore more than what I, I, I think it was an oh shit moment that had broader implications than what they were attending. Yeah, no, I agree. Because I, I think like you said, like, yeah, it, it introduced this idea that like, oh, now we have a plan. Ha ha. But yeah, like she gets stabbed with, in the hand with it before then. And Pinhead's mm -hmm. like bargain. But she's the one that opened up the box originally, Well, she opened right? it but didn't get stabbed originally, which is weird because then Pinhead appears to her. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, he, like, yeah. they appear to her, but they're not going to kill her. There's kind of like, you could pick someone else. And it's like, okay, what the fuck? Uh, and then it calls to the brother. Yeah, no, no, I, hang on, hang on. I got that one because I think it's just basically, yeah, we can sacrifice you or you can pick someone else. And I thought it was because she's the original one that opened up the box in this particular cycle. Like they needed her to continue. They needed her to continue sacrificing. She was the catalyst. So she was important in terms of this particular cycle. So that I believed. I was okay with that. I, 
See, like that, I was okay with that in the sense that, that, that like that bargaining does happen when Kirsty opens it in the first one, and he's like, "Hey, mm-hmm. uh, you open the box, I came. What the fuck?" And she's and he's like, "Yo, I'll get I'll get Frank for you. We'll you know we'll make this. You Frank eluded you last time. I'll get him for you, and that will meet my quota that I need to give to you." And she's he's like, "You know what? Mm-hmm. Good deal. Let's do it." Um, but in this one, she it seemed like. I don't know. It, it seemed like she just had plot armor. Like Pinhead was like, "Now I'm going to talk to yeah. you about it," uh, and because theoretically, right? Like, well, first off, did she kill six people? So let's see. We got brother, uh, lawyer lady, mm-hmm. um, chatterer, friend, uh, Asian girl in the wall. Yeah, the, the friend. But she didn't do that one. That was that uh, was him. But that, that was bad guy. But you know, yeah. it's theoretically, that's four sacrifices, and then we have mm-hmm. boyfriend at the end. Who's the sixth? Mm-hmm. There was no sixth, was there? It's only five. It might have been just five. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, because the original there's the original configure. There's six configurations, but the original one is like the default state. Count. And then once she opened it up for the first time, it went to the. Okay, I guess one. that makes sense. But like, mm-hmm. I guess because what what that does like so it's weird that she can communicate with Pinhead, and Pinhead can be like. Get somebody else. Get your brother. It's cool. Whatever, man. Uh, it's it's weird mm-hmm. that that's an okay thing to do. Um, but then when Chatterer gets it, it's and like you know, and then when friend, when Asian, or I, I feel weird to call her that. You know, when when the roommate uh, gets killed, when she gets killed, uh, there's no talking about it. There's or even you know with the doctor, we don't we don't we, we don't see the brother. We don't see uh, the lawyer get killed. Um, but we do see uh, you know when, when the friend gets killed. Um, there's no talking, there's no communicating, there's no bargaining. They just, they, they you know, they, fl- they stab her in the neck and flay her. And, you, and it's weird that, like, that happens. Even then, you know, they kind of enjoy it. They kind of play with her a little bit. Chatterer just gets hooked from nowhere and killed. And you're like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like <laughs> him, it's instantaneous. And, like, nobody has to mm-hmm. do anything to make it happen. He doesn't get pulled into the hell world. Because, you know, in, th- in this movie, in the previous movies, hell kind of opens up around you. Like, the wall separates like it does in this movie, and you can see the pathway into the maze, into the engineer of hell. And this one, hell kind of invades, essentially, the world. Which, you know, different choices, whatever. Um, that, that, that didn't bother me either way. Um, but it's just weird that, in the, that, like, by doing that, they created this idea that, I guess, Cenobites, who I already kind of assumed were dead and were sacrificed and whose souls didn't really belong to them anymore, uh, can get sacrificed. And then the question is, could you have just stabbed an animal? <laughs> like uh yeah but also would this also opens up for me too as we learn you know uh about the box and the guy and the um uh the house the original guy why why make this contrive if you can just stab anybody with this box if it's not opening it that summons them and dooms your soul if you can just stab anybody with this box why even bother with this whole charade about the boyfriend and his uh, turn cloakness to uh, be working for this guy, get paid by him to go open this box and implement uh, her in it. Why even bother with that? Why not just go find a bunch of homeless people on the street and stab them with this needle? Like, why not? Mm. Why make it this thing where the police are involved or all these things? As we've, you know, like, I don't know how realistic it is, but, you know, there's tons of media and there's tons of stories of people going missing and, you know, people preying upon uh, the disenfranchised. Why isn't that your target? Why, like, by by opening up this idea that anybody can be stabbed, that it's not a matter of opening it, it's not a matter of will, it's just a matter of you happen to be gotten. It it makes the plot of this movie really not make much sense. Why is Riley involved? 
Like, why not have this? Why isn't this guy just like, hey, here's the thing. This box is going to open. It's going to produce a little spear. Be careful when you open it and just stab somebody with it. Like, go around stabbing people. And we can get this done in a night. This doesn't have to be, like, a, a week-long venture. This can be done in an afternoon. Like, like you know, like, he doesn't even need the, he doesn't even need the guy. He can just, he could have done it himself. He could have invited people to his mansion. Like, that first guy we see in the opening, you know, done. Stab him. One at a time. Like, it, it, it makes the story really confusing to me. Because by, by taking out the, uh, you know, opening it being what dooms you, being what, uh, you know, and, and it being a seeking that you're doing you're seeking this thing out you're seeking this pleasure you're seeking uh this next step to open it uh and just having it be you know this rich guy manipulating people to give grant him a wish seems very uh mm-hmm. contrary to prior, prior prior films but also really kind of making you wonder what the point of the story was really yeah i don't know that's that, that's what that's that's why i think the box really kind of confuses me in this movie yeah definitely all right, uh, let's see. What else can we talk about on this front? Um, what about the designs of the Cenobites? What do you think about Cenobite designs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, we were talking about this on the Discord too during the watch. I think the designs themselves are fine. However, they just don't feel lived in. If They've got a little bit of rubbery suits kind of-esque to them. I think they're creative. I like looking at them, but I just wish they would have been like dirtied up a little bit or live feel more lived in a little bit as well. Like maybe, I don't know, they have like wounds or scabs or something like that on there or cuts um something like that um but yeah that that's kind of where i came from how about yeah you? i'm the same i feel like i felt like they were over designed i think like they were they make kind of cool toys i guess but i also think there's so much going on on them that it was kind of hard to like be grossed out or interested by it you know like i feel like pinhead and them like in the original uh excuse me in the original films um you know, like, like you mentioned, they're, they're kind of these leather daddies, but also the leather is like intertwined with them. Their skin is flayed and like woven into the leather. If you look at like Pinhead's chest, you'll see these like rips on his body. Um, and, you know, and then like the weird, like the back of the head kind of goes up and like is like implanted in the back of his skull. And like there's weird elements that kind of make it kind of macabre, but also kind of an identifiable profile from afar. Um, and then like, you know, I, I can't. I know that he was like a war veteran or something like that is what they implied in the lore. And like uh, uh, the girl with the throat, uh, there's some reason why that happened. And there's, uh, you know, like Butterball is a guy who like, you know, has a lot of gluttony. Uh, you know, there there were elements tied to who they were that you kind of saw represented in who they became uh, in these characters. And like the, and it just felt like with this one, they kind of just saw the theme of what some of the previous movies had gone with and just kind of elaborated upon them, but almost, but not like sensibly, you know? It's, it didn't feel like, it felt like they did it for the sake of this will look really cool and messed up. Like she also had the rips on her chest and then she had this weird kind of like, I don't know, almost like shoelaces going through it. And it just looked really awkward to me. I'm like, oh, what's going on with that? Like, what's the point of that? Um, <laughs> like, you know, like we said, I think, you know, in, in our discord, they're, they're a little over-designed and I feel like, like, um, I forgot they called her Whisperer or something. The, the lady the one who puts who gives puts something in the mouth of the lawyer when she comes up i don't understand that part mm-hmm. um she had like this ripped open kind of skull with the flaps out which is what angelique who's a character from uh, bloodlines has but then there's also uh then there's also she had the, the kind of ripped open throat which is what one of the main uh which is like a, a very uh kind of like chatter it, it, it was one it was one who kind of appeared in multiple films of the franchise so they kind of took these elements of the characters and put them together but it just like it just felt like too much. It felt like I I think 
part of what made the Hellraiser, the Cenobite di designs originally work really well was that they were all uniform in their black costumes when they had these flares or elements that kind of made them distinct but uniform. And here they just kind of felt like, here are some crazy things we can create. And you're kind of like, okay. You know, it, it didn't, they didn't feel uniform, they didn't feel connected to me. Um, which, you know, cause it, was, it was distracting at times, I feel like. kind of I, I didn't really get to appreciate what they looked like, but because anytime I tried to focus on it, they were just kind of standing there. I don't know. Um, it felt, you know, I, it felt like they were trying to one-up the previous movies with this, but, like, maybe did a little bit too much. Like, I would, I'd like to see that effort on this kind of these gory costumes more in the film, in the scenes that we, like, you know, in in the kills, essentially. I would have liked to see that effort, that same effort they created in kind of making these complicated costumes into making some more creative kills uh, that we didn't really get in, in this movie. Yeah, I was really disappointed when they just cut off from the lawyer. It was just basically scream transition to the other scene. I was just like, damn. I mean, Hellraiser is one of those series where I'm always curious to see how they do the kills because it is that super natural element of it. It's almost like Nightmare on Elm Street, except with the comedy toned down. <laughs> Um, <laughs> where, you know, you're, you're curious to see exactly how this person is going to be fucked up um, in, in what way, mm -hmm. but they didn't do it in that particular one. And there were some good, like, not against this movie, there were some great kills in it. Like, I do want to talk about the final kill at the very, very end right there where the guy gets degloved and, like, his penis comes off and everything like that. Like, that was, oof, <laughs> that was that was a good kill. Um, I just, I wish there was more of that, honestly. Yeah, so. well, because that's the thing, like, with Hellraiser, like, the first one, you know, there's you know, there's not many characters in the first one. There's a few guys who get killed and get axed and stuff uh, when Julia kills them. But you know, the kills that are there and the effects are really cool again. Um, and I heard that a lot of this was practical, which is awesome. Um, but but like you mentioned, yeah, like the, the lawyer, the brother, even the the kid in the beginning, we didn't really get to see many kills in depth. We really only get to see um, the friend, the roommate's death. Uh, we get to see the setup for um, uh, the boyfriend about to die and then you know gets transferred to the sorry the roommate's boyfriend the brother's boyfriend about to die and the actual boyfriend's death uh which follows that up and then yeah and then which the i was okay with that one i thought that was a great kill yeah no i think it was it was great but I just, again it's it, from for a two-hour movie we only really got to see like two kills and one kind of post-credits thing um Mm -hmm. You know, which, again, like, not that to say that hooks flying out of place ripping people apart is necessarily unique or interesting. Uh, but for, you know, for a modern remake or a modern reboot, you would think that they would utilize that a little bit more. Um, like, the throat thing, the the, the death of the roommate uh, was insane. Like, the, the yeah. needle through the throat and how she, like, the way that Pinhead, like, you know, commented on how it changed the tone of scream she made. I was like, that's awesome. That's, mm. that's what I want to see. This movie should be disturbing. And I think that maybe to make it more profitable or to make it more broad, they didn't want to double down on that. They wanted to make it a little bit more, you know. Like, like my guess is there probably is somewhere where that lawyer gets killed or we see the brother's death, maybe. Uh, maybe that is something that... And the unrated extended version or whatever. Yeah, because well, I was waiting for the brother to come back. I was waiting for us to find the brother flayed. Because we, we see the scene where she hugs him and it's it's very Frank-like with this bodysuit of without flesh. And I'm like, all right, have this come back later. Give us some disturbing follow-up to the things we didn't see. So, you know, maybe we don't get to see the process, but we see the result. And we never really got that. Um, I think we think with a missed opportunity. Uh, because, you know, like we saw, we see the hooks, we see the needle, but we see like, you know, some of these, anyway, it's very interesting designs, but they don't do anything with them. They're not like, you know, like Trattorer bites a guy at one point. Cool. 
<laughs> like that's like the you know that's maybe the most we see uniquely done with these guys based on who they are um and you know we get the, the pulling the needle out and putting it into somebody which is you know something that pinhead does a lot um i just wish you know there's more done with it because you know like you know other than that that end scene a couple of those scenes towards the end we don't really get much uh, but yeah did you want to talk about the Cenobite creation um was that the scene you're talking about Oh yeah, the, the very, the very, yeah, the very end scene right there. No, it's um. So the twist at the very, very end is that uh, Voight, Voight, Voight. I, I want to say Voight because it makes me think Vat. of uh, the boys. The boys, yeah, I was thinking <laughs> that too. Uh, yeah, Voight. Uh, basically, so the the, the billionaire slash millionaire slash whatever it is, the the businessman from the opening scene. Uh, basically, we find out he's still alive. He got his wish. He opened up the Lima configuration and sacrificed the necessary amount of people. But it was a monkey's paw in terms of he has basically been kind of... He's got this device through his chest that's basically taking his nervous system and kind of wrapping it around or his tendons and his muscles kind of wrapping around this big metal device that he's stuck to. Uh, but his whole thing is that he wants the absolute power um, and he basically wants an audience with the Leviathan which is um, why this is happening back up again, basically. And uh, we also get the twist that the boyfriend is working for him, so he has been playing Riley, the main character. Um, anyway, so at the very, very end, basically, he does get his wish, um, and he says, listen, I don't want this anymore. Take this away from me. I want something bigger. I want something greater. Um, and they eventually do make him a Cenobite, and we do the closing scene of this movie is we see him go through the transformation process in terms of, him being strapped to this table in the clouds and his skin is slowly peeled and flayed off his eyelids like split open uh but he's completely naked and like they're slowly degloving everything um it, I, I thought it was a good transition to kind of end it in on it looked a little bit silly but at the same time too it's one of those things that's just so gory and so out of place that it, it was going to look silly no matter what they did um yeah i just thought it was a good way to end it how about well, you? Maybe question: Did they both get boons? Because he got yeah. his wish and she got her wish. Well, could have had her wish. It's mm. kind of weird. Yeah. What? Like, what? Yeah, I think what happened was basically it was kind of a refund for him. It was just, hey, this is not what I asked for, and then he basically changed his wish. I guess, yeah. Which and they apparently gave it to him for some reason. Yeah. They, they, well, because I, I find that like. The, the part at the end where the, where Pinhead talked is what I like. Because like, I always kind of like when Pinhead talks to people. Like, I feel like it's what makes Pinhead interesting is that he's like, yeah, he's kind of like a, you know, a, a force of nature. But he's also like, you know, he's trying to like, you know, do the job he was assigned to do. You know, he's he's, he's almost like a bureaucrat mm -hmm. Cenobite where he's like, all right, this is what you asked for. Let me like, you know, this is the deal we can make so I can get what you need. And it was weird that he was like, because he chose whatever the one is, which is like pleasure or something like that, you know, experience. So yeah, the thing he had was like, supposed to like push him to the edge of experience which again is, is like a excuse me it's is like um kind of in line with the original one where it's like you know basically he had his nerves tied to this thing and what they did is they'd ratchet on his nerves every now and then and make him feel this like, extreme pain but then it would stop so that because he would never go numb to it so it was like this idea of like constantly like living on the edge of like expecting pain having these moment, brief moments of, of respite and then boom, like, the, the, this intense pain comes back. You know, it's, it's it's very in line with kind of, like, the the, the torture element that we're heard of. And, you know, in, in the way that Pinhead talks about it is this idea of, like, this is great. Isn't it, Isn't this awesome? Like, what you got? Like, yeah, it's a little fucked up, but, like, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're living forever and you're going to live forever and experience, like, what life, this pain of life, essentially. And 
and he's like no i don't want this this is like you know this is fucking dumb and she's like well you know like wow you turned away your gift fine you just want power we can give you fucking power you know that's fine like that's what you want whatever uh you know it it felt like pinhead was like you know like you, you spit on my gift essentially um and i liked that um uh but yeah but then you know then we then we get uh they offer riley the same kind of option of a boon um but it seems that the you know resurrection was the one that they want leviathan is resurrection i suppose um and she turns it down um i i like that element i liked that i liked that uh we we saw the original um function i guess of the box in in that way in in the in the and the opportunity to, and, you know, in, the, in experiencing the threshold of pleasure and pain. Um, I wish that, I was curious what the other functions were, you know, because we got, we, we got resurrection. Uh, we got, uh, you know, we got pain through pleasure through pain. I wonder, I'm curious what the other functions were, like the weird, you know, diamond box. I don't know. I guess that could be what the sequels do. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there was, there was lore that was one of them, and I always kind of figured that to be kind of like a Cthulhu-esque uh, aspect of, yeah, you'll get the answers that you're looking for, but that is basically going to break your mm. brain. Um, so let's go through that. We got life, knowledge, love, sensation, resurrection, and power. Those were the uh, six. So... So life is obviously, you know, resurrection. That's what the first movie was all about. Wait, wait, I thought, but Re- resurrection was no. Leviathan, wasn't it? I, so it's laments. Uh, no, Leviathan oh, is power. Okay. Lament is life. Mm-hmm. So, so, so yeah. if you're just like so giving, giving the box life. back, that's 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 your that's what you want. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, that's much. interesting. Um, but yeah, um, you know, because I don't want to go too much into too much of the. I've ever gone into a lot of it, but you know, I think you know a lot of the movies is experiencing it. Um, so you know, just to kind of wrap things up. Did you? So you said that the the Cenobite cenobitization was your uh, favorite kill or gory moment um no i think the roommates the the, the asian girl who gets uh the through the throat um the, the pin through the throat that was definitely the best kill in the mm-hmm. entire movie did you have a favorite cenobite design that was a good one and it, uh, i always like the yeah. chatterer like i just i i can't i can't not hate the chatterer <laughs> well i love that he I love like, you know he, i feel like he's he uh uh-huh. He's constant. Like, there's, like, a Chatterer dog, and, and I think in Inferno, like, Chatterer appears all the time. Chatterer's great. Chatterer's a, is a mainstay of the series. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like, you know what? Hey, it's that guy. Okay. Oh, it's not, It's always good to yeah. see him again. Um, and then, what did you think of the ending? Like, oh, you know, you. kind of as, as we wrap up here, what, what, what was the, what was, what was your opinion on the ending? I think, I think I already touched on mm. it a little bit um, in terms of they let her go because this is the, I, I, I love the twist at the very end where she's just like, no sacrifice my ex. Cause he's a douchebag. <laughs> like I love that moment of power. That was great. Um, but um, at the same time too, the, Oh, you know, with the biggest pain we can give you is the knowledge of what you've lived with. Um, I think I touched mm-hmm. on that earlier in this episode. It was good. I really, really liked the idea. I just wish they would have pushed it a little bit more. I think having another survivor at the very end kind of takes away from it. Cause at the very end, she could say like, Oh yeah, all these people got fucked up or at the very, very least I was able to save my boyfriend's roommate or my brother's boyfriend. Um, and having that knowledge just kind of takes away from it. It, it, it doesn't, the despair could have been a lot heavier at the very, very mm-hmm. end. I see that. Well, I, I guess, you? you know, the, the, the other side of that is that because now she has a witness though, she has somebody who knows what she did. He's, yeah. he's like, Hey, you killed my boyfriend. You killed my friend. You, you know, you fucked all these people over. Like she, you know, she has somebody who can kind of call her out. Uh, so maybe that, maybe that adds to the, to the lament of it. 
Um, yeah, you know, again, like, like I said, like I like to, I, 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 I also agree. I think that's an awesome, uh, the idea that living with your pain is, uh, of what you've done is a great, uh, you know, I, you know, cause I think, you know, probably what a lot of addicts may kind of already live with is this pain that, uh, you know, of what they've gone through and, you know, where their life's taken them to a degree. Um, so that, you know, that does tie into that, you know, and like I said earlier, like I would have preferred something that made the choice for her to not have her brother back stronger. I would have, I, I just felt like it didn't, I never thought she had, I, it didn't seem to me like she's actually struggling with yes or no on that. Um, and same with the, the stabbing the boyfriend. Stabbing the boyfriend, I was like, oh, that's going to happen immediately. As soon as like, I was like, this oh, is yeah. going to happen. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that was interesting. Uh, like, yeah, that, that was something that like, interesting, but I didn't think it was too uh, unpredictable. Um, I, I, the, the, yeah, you live with lament thing. After it, after it happened, I was kind of like, do you think that's like actually one of the options you have, or is Pinhead just like, oh fuck, she's not gonna take anything? Oh god, what, 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 uh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Uh, uh, you're gonna live with the pain of knowing what happened. Yeah, I guess, I guess that's the real pain you got. That's that's the friends you made along the way. Like, yeah, like that's that's really what happened. Like, it's okay. Like, this was all part of our plan. Actually, that was that was in the cards the entire time. You didn't just like jip us on our on our deal. You know, like it, I was kind of just like did. Did Pinhead, like, was that ever an option? Or was Pinhead just kind of like, fuck, uh, we already gave that guy the, the one gift he can have. Um, you know, you, you, we can't really take it from you anymore. You know, our, our seven sacrifices are gone. We can't really sacrifice you. So, like, yeah, you, you pain, that's that's what you get. You get you get knowing. Get out, get out, fucking leave. Like, I feel like that was kind of like, I don't know. It felt, it felt kind of like the, the speech she gave was like a nice little speech, but also it felt kind of like, I don't know. Maybe that's just kind of like her talking out of her ass. <laughs> um, Pinhead's a great improviser. <laughs> um, yeah, like, you know, like, like you said, you know, I think, uh, you know, the ending was, the ending to me matched the rest of the movie. Uh, again, it felt very, uh, I was expecting for the, for like a black hole to appear and the house to be sucked in on itself or something at the end. They just kind of with the kind of movie that this mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, like a 13 ghost ending or something where they have to, oh no, jump out before the, you know, hell eats the box. Uh, um, but, and you said you saw um, uh, Bloodlines, right? You've seen Hellraiser Bloodlines, the one where they go into the past? Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the idea of the building being a giant box reminded me a lot of the space station being a giant box from that one. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, that, again, I was expecting, the, I was expecting like, the box to close up and, like, you know. I, I did think it would be kind of cool if they did what they did in that movie where at the end it it wasn't just, like, I almost kind of thought maybe that is the case. Maybe he was trying to, when he, you know, when all the, all the doors closed and it trapped the Cenobites, I was thinking, like, oh, maybe his plan this entire time was to trap the Cenobites and like kill them maybe that was his ideas he realized like he did he's like oh fuck i made a mistake and like he's a, still a villain because he's still manipulating people but in the end he's able to trap them inside this new this giant box he made uh which i thought would have been a cooler ending um uh but yeah i don't know i think you know i think it, for the way it ended ended okay for what it was but uh you know i think there could have been improvements um do you see a sequel working yeah, definitely or do you see like what would you what would you see oh, a yeah. sequel being would it follow riley would it just be another example of somebody stumbling across the box no, I 100% think they should go the stumbling across the box, maybe have Riley as like a cameo or a villain in the movie or that sort of thing too. Like, I love the idea of just her completely broken and then somehow like using, because of her mental state, kind of going into an antagonist form because of that. Um, I, I, I do think that would be a great direction to take it. I think whoever we follow will have to be a new character, new box, that sort of thing too. But I think they've got a decent foundation um, in terms of a course correction for the series, and I'm curious to see where they'll go mm. from here. I, I guess my my one fear, not fear, but the one thing reason why I maybe don't want a sequel, and I'd almost prefer they do another reboot, um, is just because they've introduced this wish fulfillment aspect of it, and the 
making, you know, going through the different stages, unless they, they maybe imply that this isn't the only way this box can be opened or there's other ways, other functions of it, I just wouldn't want to see that in another movie, you know? Like, because I feel like, because mm-hmm. the, the seven sacrifices, people getting stabbed and bled again, like, they'd really have to do something different to make it interesting and engaging because now we know this, you know, we know the secret of it and it's, we know that there's a process. So I feel like we would need to expand the lore um, to maybe there's another kind of box or maybe there's something else the way the box, maybe after the box completes, something else happens to it. Um, Cause I just, I just feel like, uh, you know, it needs to change somehow in order for this to continue. You know, we need to expand the lore for it to be interesting, but also I don't want to see another example of people constantly stumbling across this box and cutting themselves on it, you know? Um, yeah. Maybe maybe the box breaks something. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's not that they destroy the box. Or maybe with this um, this new Cenobite that was created, maybe he has some relationship with the box that can function differently. Um, I just think that needs, I think they need to do something interesting with it that way uh, because I think... I just can't see teens stumbling across this box again, you know? <laughs> I just can't, I can't see that being the function of another movie um, with, like, how mm-hmm. rigid these rules seem to be. Um, you know, it, 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 would, it would be hard to do it without, because they kind of gave up the secret, essentially. Um, it felt, I feel, I feel like maybe they yeah. didn't think about that in terms of sequel baiting. Well, you know, maybe they did. Maybe, maybe, maybe it will be like Hellraiser 2 where it's somebody trying to open the box again to access leviathan but maybe we see more in the hellscape kind of like what number two did a little bit um i don't know mm-hmm. or, or maybe you know maybe we see Sounds the good. brothers journey through hell <laughs> that could be interesting um i don't know <laughs> maybe and that's the i mean like i kind of mentioned before that's one of the things where it's kind of makes me iffy less is more um i i i, I do feel like the hellraiser series at the very first two movies, we're in a very good place in terms of they showed us just enough to make it interesting, but at the same time, too, not enough to kind of mess everything up. So I'm hoping they kind of keep it this way with the sequel in terms of just kind of like drip feeding us more and more lore about these particular things, but not go over and overboard mm-hmm. with it. Well, and I wonder, too, if that if that's maybe yeah. why we don't see many good sequels to Hellraiser is maybe just because, you know, again, like other than like Inferno or in like where it's kind of inventive uh, in terms of like you know, that we see somebody already kind of in hell, essentially. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. it's hard to expand this lore without it seeming kind of procedural. Like, you know, like a guy, you know, like like Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, Friday 13th, like, you know, just a slasher movie. You can kind of, those, you know what you're expecting out of them, but it's not like the killers are always going to be the same. You know, they can have Jason be dropped in Manhattan. You know, they can have do these different kind of things. But when you create a franchise like this where it's you open the box and you get chased by the people to kill the box... It's, you know, it's hard to iterate on that too many times if you aren't developing the lore. It's, it's hard to make another one of these movies that doesn't feel like the same thing over and over again. Um, so maybe that's yeah. part of the limitation of this franchise. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. All right, cool. Well, final thoughts on Hellraiser uh, 2022. I think overall it's a decent movie. Um, I would even consider it a good movie, honestly. Not without its problems, definitely, but I would definitely recommend watching it, and I think it is a very good step in the right direction for the franchise. Would you agree yeah, as no, well? Yeah, I definitely agree. I, for you know, for all, all the complaining I do about the, the lore of it, that's just where my mental hang-ups are, but I think it is a good movie. I think it, you know, it, it's definitely worth mm-hmm. watching, especially if you hadn't... Again, like I... I have so much back room back knowledge on this franchise that I, that I think it definitely is affecting my perception of it but i can identify that i think it is a well-made movie there are some really great elements to it and i think for somebody who maybe 
who's who's new to the franchise, I would say it would probably be a really fun time um, to watch. Um, but I think you know it, it's a solid movie. Definitely watch it for Halloween. You know, like it's and, and it's especially compared to some of the other sequels. Like definitely not saying this is the worst of them or by any means. It's definitely up there, production wise, acting wise. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a there's not a bad act actor really in the bunch. I think the the story is pretty good. You know, disappointed for the for the continuation of the franchise, but I think that it's a solid film. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah, that's another t- thing too I wanted to mention. Like the acting all around was very solid. There was not a bad actor yeah. in the bunch. So and, that, and that's the thing. It could have ended up really cheesy. I feel like a lot of times when they do a reboot, you know, we we get a Jeepers Creepers reborn. Um, but you know, and again, <laughs> I, I just gotta you know uh, pray in this. Like Hulu could doing a great job. Like uh, for these direct to video films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I felt like in Prey, we definitely saw some issues with the CG of the animals and whatnot, but here I never really felt there was never, I think a lot of it was practical, but it never felt like we were in like a terrible, you know, a bad CG environment or like we were, um, you know, witnessing bad CG kills that it, it felt great. The, the props department, the, uh, you know, whoever was involved in making this, cause I, I really couldn't tell what was practical and what wasn't. They did a great job. Um. So it, it, yeah. it again giving a lot more hope for the uh, Fede Alvarez um, Alien movie because if, if Hulu keeps turning out these kind of horror reboots, I'm gonna be really happy. You know, I wish wish they got rights to Jeepers Creepers. Maybe <laughs> maybe they would have done something better with it. <laughs> <laughs> possibly, possibly, possibly. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for listening. Once again, this is the second part of Reboot Ween. Uh, next episode, we are going to be going ahead and taking a look at Halloween Ends. Evil dies. Uh, the, the, hopefully this joke evil will dies die. this weekend, right? Um, <laughs> it comes out this week, right? Yes, evil. Di- yes, evil. Evil dies this weekend, and this joke will die too. Uh, but we will definitely go ahead and record that. We'll probably put that up there sometime early the following week. Um, but we will, we will definitely get in that. And then just keep in mind as well, we do have a surprise for the very, very last week of October. Uh, haven't gotten any correct guesses yet, but feel free to message us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at primitivescrewheads.horror. Uh, so you can go ahead, send requests, questions, comments, anything you want there. Thank you once again to our opening theme song. That is Teddy's Atlas with the song Horror Movie Story. You can get that off the album Children of the Corn. They are good, good Canadian boys. And that's all we got for you today. Bye. That's it. All right. So stay groovy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>